Our text for today is from Matthew chapter 28, from Romans chapter 6. We'll also be looking at 1 Peter chapter 3 as well. Martin Luther, the great reformer used by God to rediscover the gospel, the good news that we are saved not by our works, but we are saved by God's grace alone, through our faith alone, in the work of Jesus Christ alone. It's his death and his resurrection. Martin Luther, who said, he wrote down, he said, once he finally realized that it wasn't on him and his shoulders and that it was by God's grace alone in Jesus through faith. He said in that moment, it was as though he had been transported through the gates of heaven itself and he had already entered into the presence of Christ. It was so blissful and joyful. And how the gospel makes all the difference in our lives. Perhaps some of you know something about the life of Martin Luther to know that before he understood the gospel of grace and the joy and the peace that it brings, but even after he understood the gospel of grace and the joy and the peace that it brings, that Luther suffered from severe spiritual attacks. In the German, he called it the Anfechtung. Perhaps you know that certainly before he knew a God of grace and love and the joy and the peace, but after he knew that, that Luther also suffered from moments of great anxiety. Luther even predicted his own death on more than one occasion. And that Luther, before but even after knowing the gospel, endured periods in his life of great depression and a gloom. How can this be? He knew the gospel. He knew, he knew that he was saved by grace and the joy and the peace that it brings. How can that be? The great reformer, the great man. Martin Luther was a man. It's like you, just like me, and he had the same spiritual battles and temptations and failures, and he had some of the same psychological issues that many of us endure as well. But there's something that Martin Luther would do in these moments, whether it was a spiritual attack or was it more of an anxiety type of attack or if he was battling Satan himself, there was something that Martin Luther would do. It's recorded that he would take a piece of chalk and with that piece of chalk there at the desk where he would work, he would write, he would inscribe with the chalk on the desk a message to himself. He would write these words that he needed to see and words that he needed to hear. The message that he would write with that chalk was Well, let's hold off on that for a moment. <laughs> because before we get there, we have to understand a few things and we have to actually 
uh, be reminded of where we left off last week and what we talked about last week. Last week we began our sermon by asking the question, where is God and where can God be found in this world? And we said last week that the story of the entire Bible of God's word from beginning to end is always a story of a God who is continually and constantly coming down to be with his people. God isn't content to be far away and removed and distant and totally transcendent, yet he's also a God who is imminent. That is a God who likes to draw near to his people, a God who likes to be close, a God who comes down. God came down there in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, who had rebelled against him, and he comes down and walks in the cool of the garden. He says, where are you? And a God who came to Moses in the burning bush, take off your sandals, this is holy ground, and he gave his divine name, Yahweh, I am who I am. The God who came to the people of God as they wandered in the Sinai wilderness for 40 years, and to us a rather crude and primitive tabernacle made out of wood and animal skins, and yet you can see how the people of God encamped around that tabernacle. God was in the very center of their lives, in the very center of their midst, drawing as close as he possibly could in all of his holiness. And in the more permanent temple in Jerusalem, there in the Holy of Holies, the glory of God would dwell. And of course, ultimately, this is all leading to the fullest revelation of God. The Word made flesh who made his dwelling amongst us in that little helpless baby of Bethlehem. God with us, Emmanuel, a God who comes down to be with us, and that is the God who suffered and died for you, was crucified in your place upon the cross, rose victorious from the grave, ascended into heaven, and it's that same God in Jesus Christ who promises one day he is going to return to this world and bring his justice and bring his healing and restore all of this broken creation. Jesus is going to come back. God is going to come back down to be with his people. But until that time, we said last week, does God still come to us? Where is God? Where can God be found? Well, God can be found exactly where he promised he would be. As we said last week, there's many people here who like online shopping. Click, click, click. And maybe in just a few days, you're packages arrive and they bring it up to the door and they leave the package and they leave the box and whatever it is that you wanted or needed so desperately and you take the package and they take the box and you go inside and you open it up and there it is as I said it's like a little mini Christmas when the UPS guy arrives God continues to come to us today and he packages himself he puts himself, if you will, in boxes, means of delivering his very presence. And wherever God is, there's that hope, that hope that we need in these uncertain times. Wherever God is, his life is there. Wherever God is, his salvation is there. Wherever God is, his love is there. Wherever God is, his resurrection power of Christ is there. Wherever God is, his forgiveness is there. He continues to come down to deliver himself, life and salvation, how, as Lutheran Christians, we call it the means of grace. We call it word and what? Sacrament. 
Last week, our focus was on the Word of God, and we saw how God works through the Word into our lives and how wonderfully reliable the Word of God is. Uh, go online and listen to that sermon if you weren't here last week. And then next week, our focus is on the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Today, it is on this great and wonderful gift of holy baptism. And what I want us to focus on with baptism is the question, what is it that baptism actually does? Because we as Lutheran Christians do believe baptism has real power. That baptism is effectual. That baptism has a real effect upon us. That baptism does something. And I say that, and by the way, if you're here and you're not a Christian or you're exploring Christianity, what a great opportunity to be here and just to learn that as Christians, what binds us together is Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. But there are differences with denominations, and this is one of those differences in how we understand baptism. So it's good for you to be here and part of this family conversation we're having today. Because as Lutheran Christians, we believe that baptism is effective. It is effectual. It does have a power. It does something. But there are many of our brothers and sisters in the Protestant tradition who believe that baptism is merely and simply an outward sign. That baptism and the water of baptism is merely symbolic. You know, we choose God and we believe and, and, and we have that faith and then as an outward way of expressing that in the water symbolic of being washed clean, we choose to be baptized, it's our decision and we go through that baptism as a way of publicly declaring our faith and it is symbolic and symbolic only. Now if you come from that tradition, if that's your belief here this morning, we are so glad you are here. Half my family has that same belief. Hello, family, if you're out there on the internet. <laughs> but I would say respectfully, there is simply nowhere in Scripture, no passage, no sentence, no verse, not a single place in the New Testament or the Old Testament for that, not a single place in all of God's holy and inspired word which ever speaks of baptism as something that is merely symbolic. That it's merely an outward action that we choose to go through. There is not a single place. In fact, on the contrary, and we're going to look at a few verses here this morning, the Word of God says the exact opposite, that there is a power to baptism, that it is a means by which God does something in us and for us. Let's look at some of these wonderful passages here. First of all, the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 28 that we just heard. Jesus is risen. He is now sending his people, his church, his followers, his disciples out into the world on this great mission. 
And Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority. I have all the power. I am all powerful. All authority is mine. And now I am working that authority and that power. How? Through my people, through the church. And what do I want you to do with that power and authority? I want you to go and make disciples. I want you to make followers, people who know me, people who know my love, people who, who know how much I adore them and love them and want them. I want you to go out and make those people. And then Jesus uses, for those who like grammar, two present participles. Baptizing and teaching. And these present participles in the Greek, baptizing and teaching, are here to show the means by which the disciples are actually made. Go into all nations and make disciples. And how are you going to make those disciples? A little nuanced translation would be by baptizing in the name of the Father and the Holy Spirit and by teaching. It's by baptism and it's by the Word of God, the Gospel. Jesus here is clearly saying a way in which followers of Jesus, disciples, children of God are made is by this wonderful gift of baptism in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now look, maybe Jesus means something different than what he's saying. Maybe he means here that, that baptism is simply an outward thing and it's merely symbolic and it doesn't do anything, but that's not, that's not what he says and it certainly isn't clear. In fact, it seems... Just on the face of it, he's saying that baptism is a means by which disciples are made. You see that? So how is it then that baptism makes disciples? I mean, what actually happens in baptism? Well, let's look at the words of the Apostle Peter. And this is from 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter here has been speaking about Noah and the flood and how through the waters of the flood and the ark, his family was saved. Everyone else perished, but his family and the promise of the Messiah that was given to them was saved through the waters of the flood and the ark. And then he says, baptism now saves you. Just like the water of the flood and the ark saved Noah's family, baptism now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What is Peter saying? He is saying that baptism has the power to save you, to redeem you, to bring you into the family of God and to give you everlasting life and the forgiveness of all of your sins. Baptism now saves you. He says not simply because it's just water. It's not magical water. 
It's not like just pouring the water over you or being immersed or however the water is applied. It's not like just the water for water's sake, you know, it washes off a little dirt and somehow that saves you. You know, that's silly. He's saying, how does baptism save you? He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Of course, it's the cross of Jesus and his resurrection that saves us. Baptism is the package. It is the mechanism, the means by which the power of the resurrection of the Son of God is actually brought into your life, into your life. It is a way, not the only way. Again, maybe Peter doesn't mean what he's saying. Or, or, or maybe I, I'm just taking it. Am I taking it too literal? <laughs> Baptism now saves you through the resurrection of Jesus, not just the water. Does Peter mean something different than what he's saying? I mean, maybe. But we have to go to God's word. And, and as Lutheran Christians, we really do just humbly accept what it says. Whether we understand it, I, can't, I don't understand. How in the world, what happened to Adeline just a few moments ago, connected her to the resurrection and the power of the resurrection of Christ came upon her? Well, God can do anything. Nothing is impossible with God. And then the words of Paul from Romans chapter 6 which again we heard a few moments ago. And Paul says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What is Paul saying there? He is saying baptism is merely an outward sign and it is just symbolic and it's your... What Paul is saying is that in the moment of your baptism, Christian, if you're here today and you were baptized, he says in that exact moment, you died with Jesus on the cross your old sinful self. You died with Jesus on the cross. You were buried with him in the tomb and raised to newness of life with him. Again, Paul says, we were buried therefore with him, how? By baptism. Again, I don't know how this works, but I simply look at what God's word says. Let me give you a, an illustration from the Old Testament. The story of the crossing of the Red Sea through the waters of the Red Sea. Remember the story Moses said, let my people go, Charlton Heston. Let my people go. I won't do that. Um, let my people go. And Pharaoh refuses, refuses, refuses. And plague, 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 plague. Finally relents and lets them go and then changes his mind and he gets his entire army and Pharaoh himself leads the way and they're chasing down the Israelites through the desert and they come there to the Red Sea and it is certain death and they are still slaves 
But when they pass, this is the POV, the point of view of those Israelites, when they pass through those terrifying waters and there's storms and there's lightning and there's a hurricane and the wind, but once they pass through the waters and onto the other side of the Red Sea, they crossed over from certain death and to life. They've passed over and crossed over from being enslaved to being the beloved children of God. When they crossed over, from death to life. This is your baptism. Not because it's just water. Can I, you know, full disclosure, I don't want to, we don't, we don't get this water from a special angel who comes down. It's right from the tap in that room right over there. It is regular old plain water, except we set it aside for a holy purpose, and it's water that's connected to the Word of God and the promises of God and the very name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that makes it a saving water, and it's connected to the power of the resurrection, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, so that at that moment of your baptism, because all of that is true, you crossed over from death to life. You crossed over from one who was enslaved to your sin and dead in your sin to becoming a beloved son or daughter of the great high king of heaven himself. Now as we come to the concluding part of the sermon, I want to make some application. And I want to do so by looking at something that Paul says in Romans 6 that's a little bit curious. It's a little bit strange. Paul is concluding this whole section on baptism and how we die with Christ and rise with him. But he says this in verse 11. He says, You also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider It's like Pastor Nate coming up to me and saying, you know, Scott, I consider you to be a good guy. What do you mean consider me to be a good guy? Am I a good guy or not? I mean, Paul has been saying over and over, you have died to your sin. You've died and risen again. Why is he saying now, well, consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider, consider. Consider is to think carefully about something. You might have the gift of baptism, but if you don't even know that you were baptized, or if you never think about your baptism, it really becomes of no use to you. You know, you could be given a trust fund. There could be millions of dollars in this trust fund, but if you don't know the trust fund even exists, or if you never access the trust fund, your life is not going to actually change. Or this example. After the American Civil War, in the southern United States, all of those men and women and the children who had been the property of other human beings, slaves, they were free. Suddenly, instantly, overnight, free. But it is reported, remember, and what a terrible evil, what a great evil. 
These are people who had been born into slavery as little children, had been the property of another human being. All of their life had been slaves. Some of them mistreated horrifically by their masters. They were free. They were free. They were free men and women. But it's reported that some of them, when they saw their master, their old master, their former master, coming towards them, riding on the horse or walking down the road, some would begin to shake and tremble. Talk about the ultimate post-traumatic stress. Thinking maybe they were going to be beaten, maybe they're going to be sold back into slavery again. Legally, officially, objectively, they were free. Experientially, they were still living as slaves, feeling that way. I think that's us. You are and you have crossed over from death to life. You are a son and daughter of the great high king. You have been set free from slavery to sin through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And your baptism was an objective moment in time where you know that actually happened. You are his. It happened. It happened in that moment for you. And yet so often we live our lives. That's legally true. But experientially, so often we live as though we're still slaves to sin and afraid of death and forget, forget, forget who we are. Martin Luther, the great reformer used by God to rediscover the gospel, that we are saved not by our works, but it is by grace alone, through faith alone, and the work, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone. Luther, as I said, when he experienced that, it was like he was transported into the heavenly realms and that joy and that peace that he had all the days of his life. But before knowing the gospel, but even after knowing the gospel, he endured battles, temptations, spiritual battle, the onfecton. He endured anxiety. As I said, predicted his death on many occasions, had bouts of great depression. When those moments came on, whether it was a psychological thing or whether it was a spiritual battle and temptation, Martin Luther, it's recorded for us that he would take a piece of chalk and on the desk where he would work, he would take the piece of chalk and he would write down, he would inscribe on the desk so he could see it, he would write down a message to himself and the message that he would write to himself was, I am baptized. Satan, get out of here. You have no room here. I am baptized. I will not listen to your lies anymore. I am a baptized child of God. That is who I am. I am not my shame. I am not my guilt. I'm not the sins that I've done. I am baptized into the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Why did he write it down? To make it louder, to make it more real to him. To use that baptism, a way of remembering it. Martin Luther said, he says, remember your baptism. Have you ever heard that? Remember your baptism. Like, I was two months old. How am I supposed to remember? Remember, remember that you are a baptized child of God. So often, look, we look to our faith. Remember, imagine not having baptism. 
and you believe and you have faith and temptation comes and stressful times come and well and, and what do you do we have to look to yourself well I know that I have faith in Jesus do I have enough I know that I love Jesus but do I have enough and anytime we look to ourselves we're going to crumple and we're going to fall but we can look to a real moment in time where God adopted you and chose you. And here's the thing, that baptism, your baptism can never, ever be taken away from you. This is who you are. This is your identity. We need our identity to be based on more than how much money we have in the bank. We need who we are to be based on more than what people think of us. We need our identity to be based more than if a boy or a girl likes us or if our husband is being nice to us or whatever it is. We need our identity to be based more on just the things of this world, an identity that can never be taken away. And that is the great gift of baptism. Martin Luther said, wash your hands, wash your faith, and remember that you are baptized. Wake up every morning and make the sign of the cross in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And remember, that is exactly the words that were spoken with your name in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All of the hounds of hell, a million demons could come after you, and none of them could ever take your baptism away from you. You are a baptized and beloved son and daughter of God co-heir of the kingdom with your brother Jesus Christ. To him alone be all the glory.